Thanks for tuning into McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And we are back. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara-Reed and our special guest, life insurance professional Guy Ziriak of Northeast Brokerage. Northeast Brokerage is nb-bga.com. And Guy, why don't you give out your, before we jump back into the, the world of underwriting, why don't you give out your email address in case anyone wants to shoot you an email? Yeah, sure. Thank you. You can reach me at gziriak at nb hyphen bga.com and that you know i'll spell it's g z like zebra i r i a k at nb hyphen bga.com awesome. again in the northeast brokerage i'm that's i'm sure a, if you can remember that piece of google search would would be an easy way to get there as well yeah all right so let's get back to underwriting essentially underwriting is just a health assessment obviously life insurance is priced based on how likely you are to die i think everyone understands that and the underwriting process you had made it you had made it through a healthy individual maybe gets a fast track to insurance but maybe spend a bit of time because i know that the kind of the world if you're young and healthy it's it's a i guess a fairly straightforward maybe even an easy process but once you get into health risks, it does get a bunch more complicated. Is that an accurate statement? That's a very accurate statement. You And so if you do have some health ailments in your past, the underwriters are going to want to look into that and get more information on that. So they may say, and this is most cases, we need to do a quick physical. They're going to take your blood pressure, draw some blood, urine, things like that now. And they'll want an attending physician statement from your doctor. And as and if you go to specialists, say a cardiologist, because maybe you have some high blood pressure or you've had a heart attack years ago, they're going to they're going to want to talk to have an APS from the cardiologist as well. And now when all of that comes back to you when all that comes back to the underwriters and if they see what you have a life expectancy that's shorter than average, they'll do what's called a rated policy. And there's a lot of different levels of getting rated anywhere. I think it's levels level one to nine, or they call it table one to nine. And at the higher the number, the more expensive your premium becomes. But and one, but one of the things that it's really important that if you're working with an insurance professional, they have to understand underwriting. Um, because sometimes underwriters get it wrong. Or because we all make mistakes. Maybe they're looking at the wrong number, or maybe that someone's on the bubble. And that's why you need to be able to fight for your clients. You need to be able to have that conversation with an underwriter. And but for I, for example, it was just last month that I had a client who got rated standard, really should have been super preferred. She had a small case of some type of skin ailment that was thought that was precancerous, but not cancer. It said this is not cancer in her medical background. Yeah. I had to go back to the underwriter and we ended up getting her bumped up to where she belonged. And that's, it's really important just to, 
to understand the underwriting process because that's the basis of the pricing. That's the basis of policy performance if you're looking at permanent insurance. Yeah. And believe, and again, you'll have, like Alyssa mentioned earlier in the show, we both used to hold insurance licenses, but we, due to our industry changing, we both no longer hold them. Actually, do you still, you don't have yours, Alyssa? I recently did not. You kept yours the longest. In the last couple of years, it had been more than six or seven years before I used it. So I found it. But in different companies will underwrite differently. Isn't that correct? In my head, I'm like, oh, everyone, they're all going to look at this the same way. Because yeah. it's just medical and these are facts or whatever, but it's not the case that insurance companies all will. will. Oh, not at all. And it's not even just the underwriting. One thing, and the listeners may or may not know this, but if you smoke tobacco products, you're going to get a much more expensive rate than a non-smoker. Yeah. And companies will look at that so much or so differently. I have one carrier that I will work with from time to time that, especially if someone has a, is a cigar smoker, this particular... Now, if you smoke one cigar, one cigar a month, most companies are going to consider you a smoker, Yeah. Uh, which, you know, and that's going to almost double your rate. Whereas I have another company that will look at cigars. Someone can smoke one cigar a week. They're still considered a non-smoker. So it really understanding that underwriting process is so important to getting the best rate, the best coverage, because it's more than keeping your insurance inexpensive. Maybe, maybe this allows you having this lower premium allows you to buy the proper amount of coverage because now it fits the budget. So it's really, or if you're a looking at a permanent policy and you want the cash value to perform well, then it is very important to get underwriting. That's one of the benefits of working with uh, someone like yourself. You can represent multiple different companies and versus working with just one company or someone who's just an agent for one company. So it's nice to be able to have someone to shop it around. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah being a broker versus being an agent. Yep. yep. Yeah. So can we talk about, I don't know if you, do you have any more on underwriting, Justin? I wanted to like well, talk yeah, about- I, I just wanted to, yeah. So I, I think I, I did work with a client just to, just as an example they, uh, I just said, oh, hey, you need some insurance, right? They were having a kid and we did a rough calculation on the numbers. And I said, here you go. You can go to SBLI or something like that. And I sent them off and they come back to me a while later and they said they were declined. I won't say why they were declined, but it was a recreational, it was a recreational habit. Yeah. And they were, and the company just said, no, full on no. And so I called, this is before I knew Guy, I called another insurance broker and they said, oh, send them over to me and I'll take, and we can work with them on that. And they just, all they did was apply to a different carrier. I don't think it was, they didn't get the super preferred rate, but it was the difference between no insurance and you are able to get insurance coverage, which was, and it wasn't overly expensive to the point where it was, they just decided not to buy it. It was just a little bit more expensive. And one company just said a flat out no. And the other one said, all right, yeah, here's your insurance and it costs this much more, which it seemed again, to me, it was very stark and a reason why certainly expertise is warranted in a lot of these cases, right? Yeah. yeah. And you know, going back to the recreational activities, <laughs> yeah. which are very common these That's days. Right. And now legal. Assuming yeah. what Justin is talking about. Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, <laughs> and if these insurance companies have changed their views on cannabis considerably. They're going to have to as it becomes more, yeah. more legal and more common. Yeah. And yeah. it used to be 20 years ago, it was basically a knockout. Yeah. Okay. And But now there are companies that are out there that will... If you use edibles 10 times a month, you can be considered a standard non-smoker if all the other health lines up. 
Yeah. Okay. Or or if you're smoking less than twice a month, yeah. you'll still be a standard non-smoker. Okay. Depending on, and again, that depends on the carrier. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, we- I'm eager to switch gears and talk about like term versus permanent and where suitable yeah. and combining policies and stuff like that. Are we okay to switch gears, Justin? You bet. Yeah. Yeah. I like, can we just focus on one sort of segment of the population, right? Like the most common segment, in my opinion, that would be seeking out life insurance or the parents of young children or parents of children that are dependent on themselves, that are dependent on them. We we've so we've talked about a little bit about term insurance and permanent insurance, right? Term being the, excuse me, much less expensive type of coverage, but it only lasts a period of time. Many people would outlive that period. And then there's permanent insurance that's designed to last forever, more expensive type of insurance, but can build a cash value and you will can have it indefinitely, assuming you make all the premium payments, et cetera. So can we just talk about where when permanent is suitable. And so obviously, you know, costs will be a factor for a lot of people and term insurances. You can get a lot of coverage for a small amount of money, again, assuming you're relatively healthy and all that stuff. But there's certainly a place in the world for permanent insurance. And as people get older, there's more more common to want the permanent insurance for a lot of different reasons. One of them being estate planning, uh, other reasons that we've touched on in the show. But Talk to me about a little bit about what you recommend. Are you always bringing up permanent insurance as an option for young couples, cash flow dependent? I think it's sometimes great to blend it and get like most of your coverage from term, just to make sure you're covering the bases, but then mix in a little permanent. If if the if the client can afford it, it's great to kind of place insurance when you're young and it's cheap and pay into it in your working years versus paying higher premiums later. Can you touch can you touch on that a bit, guy? Sure. And I'll take your example of the young couple with the several kids that are financially dependent on them. I would say that in a situation like that, it's going to depend on two major factors, income and health. Okay. Well, yeah. Because the if you have the disposable income, then then maybe we can take a look at making a adding a piece of permanent insurance there and the they also have to be healthy enough to make that policy perform well yeah so, so like for example let's say somebody would need 1.1 million dollars worth of life coverage maybe we would look at a million dollar term policy and maybe a hundred thousand dollar permanent yeah. and the reason for that is final it's a, it can be a final expense play yeah. where and right now most final expense if people come to me looking for final expense coverage in their 60s we're looking between 25 and and 40 50,000 dollars worth of coverage for final expenses yeah for a young couple that number could easily grow to $100,000 and you're young enough and healthy enough the permanent insurance can pot- and have a good enough income, mm-hmm. the permanent insurance can potentially provide some savings and some, excuse me, savings and tax savings advantages down the road with the cash value if it grows and is managed properly. Sure. Okay. But that can also be a tricky game depending on the type of the policy, the, the type of permanent policy you're looking at. Any type of policy, like a indexed universal life universal life or variable universal life, they require significant management. And you can't just say, okay, I have my insurance 
and stop looking at it. That's like what most people do, by the way, it seems. So (laughs) I talked about insurance 10 years ago. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. We talked about death five years ago. I'm good. Yeah. 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 And that's really where the problem can come in with some of these universal life policies. Yeah. For the benefit of the listeners, a universal life policy is what's considered an unbundled policy, meaning the cash value and the insurance portion have separate distinctions and they have the universal life is invested in different types of investment programs. If just a traditional universal life, you're looking at a you're looking at a policy that will that works based on interest rates. Right. So as interest rates go up and down, the return on your policy is going to go up and down as well. And we saw challenges like this with universal life in the 80s, where everybody was buying these policies and thinking that 10 and 12% interest rates inside the policy are going to go on forever. And then all of a sudden, interest rates go way down, you're you're earning less on the policy, and the cost of insurance remains the same and and goes up every year. Now you're not getting... You know, what it basically comes to a point where you're not paying enough to keep the policy active because of the rate of return isn't generating what we originally thought it would. Yeah. The thing, but that can be an easy problem to fix if you catch it early. Can we just back up and explain for our listeners, like the in the world of permanent insurance, Mm -hmm. forget about term for a minute, in the world of permanent insurance, there's all different types. Sure. But there's basically, correct me if I'm wrong, guy, there's basically like, whole life, which is like very structured, has Mm -hmm. certain guarantees associated with it, will perform in a very predictable way. You have to hit certain payments and the policy is going to perform like the way that it's sold to you, right? Then there's this other type of policy, like what you're calling universal policies. And then there's like variable universal and there's all different types, right? Index. So then there's this other type of policy, which is, um, it's like very fluid, Right. And it performs differently based on interest rates and or rates of earnings, premium payments, things change as you get older, cost of insurance, stuff like that. And it's the type of policy that's not maybe there's like minimum guarantees, but it's projected. You can like project or estimate that it will perform in a certain way, but you're making some assumptions and things change and it has to be reevaluated or people can like risk losing their policy or their cash can dwindle very quickly. So it like has to, it has to be babysat. It has to be managed, which is very different from the world of whole life insurance, which doesn't need to be babysat at all. As long as you're making a premium. Payment. Yeah. yeah that that yeah. was actually very well said, Alyssa. The- I used to be an insurance professionalist. Yeah. I always <laughs> tell my clients, I speak insurance very well. I don't sell it, but I do speak it pretty well. <laughs> yeah. And you're hundred percent right. If you purchase a whole life insurance product, it will typically be more expensive than than these u- these universal life products. Yeah, are. yeah. Right. You're paying for the guarantees. You're paying for the predictability yep. of it. Yeah, and, yep. and yep. there are many policies out there that if you own them for 15, 20 years, the dividends become very significant. Yeah. And I I also heard you mention something during the during the first segment about it's nice to have that whole life asset down the road when you're in retirement to use for down markets. Unfortunately, because you can draw on those on that cash value as you get older and take loans against it. Unfortunately, in order to do that, you need to begin planning like in your 
at the latest in your early 40s. Yeah, yeah. less people are con- con- are thinking in that direction. And that's a period in your life when there's so many other financial goals that you're trying to achieve yep. in retirement and my kids and college and yeah, right. and life yeah. and travel and all that. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. yeah. So maybe at that point, that's why you might want when you first apply a little bit of permanent insurance, right? Because yeah. you get it when you're young, you're healthy, and it's inexpensive. And then you can add more cash into it. If you pay more than the minimum premium, typically that's a good safe that that's a nice safety safety procedure with the policy. Because okay. if there's more cash in there, you're gonna do better during the good times. And you're okay. going to provide a cushion in case yeah. you know, in using my universal life uh, example, if the interest rates drop, you have extra cash in there that's still getting even that lower interest rate. And if you have more, if you have more cash in the policy, you're buying less insurance. So the cost of insurance drops. Okay. Um, yeah. Sometimes overfunding those policies is a good, is a very good thing to do. Wait, say that again. If you have more cash in the policy, the cost of insurance drops. I thought cost of insurance was related to your age. You you know what? Yeah. The cost, I should rephrase the cost of insurance remains the same. But if you have, but you end up buying less, you end up buying less insurance because let's say, you know, you've had this policy. I don't know, 10 years, there's $20,000 in it. You've been paying at the minimum. It's a $100,000 policy. At that point, you're buying $80,000 worth of coverage. Again, assuming you're using option. That's so you're just paying, you're paying for less coverage as you get older. Because you have more of your own cash in the policy. So you need less from the insurance company. Okay, that makes sense. And that actually is part of what makes these universal policies less expensive than a fully guaranteed whole life. Okay. But like I said, it's not a set it and forget it scenario, especially, and I rarely, in general, I'm not a big fan of the variable universal life policies. Okay. Just because of the unpredictability of the investments in the policy or? Yeah. The thing about a universal life and an indexed universal life is you're you, your worst case scenario is a is basically a zero rate of return. Where yeah, your assets yeah. don't get a heck of a lot of don't get a heck of a lot of rate of return. Okay, um, but if you know you have a variable universal policy, those assets are invested in the market. Yeah, long term, yeah. typically yeah. you're going to do better. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of variable universal life policies were sold in the late '90s when the market was just doing awesome. We were getting 30% a year. And then, and then the two thousands happened and it was almost, it was, they call it the lost decade where the 10 year rate of return was lower than it was, I believe in the 1930s. Yeah. The policies did not perform the way they were supposed to. And 20 years later, a lot of people who weren't keeping an eye on these things lost their coverage when they needed it. The variable policies, those are, you got to look at those every six months. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, it's just like any other investment that you have out there. And are they? I'm just going to make a guess here, but are they less popular now than they were? I'm just putting putting terms together. Less. You had Alyssa and I are coming into the business, sort of in that in the 2000s. We would sit down and we would look at an insurance policy, and it might be on. I, th- I know a few times in my case, I've said, "Oh, hey, this thing's on the brink of failure. Like this isn't going to this isn't going to work unless you start yeah. to crank up your contributions, which no one really wants to hear because they weren't paying attention. The markets weren't great." 
And so I think planners probably turned on those. Someone like me who's doing this as a as someone who's not getting paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's like kind of the double whammy. I think you have less and less planners selling insurance, so they're not getting paid for it. So we're just doing this sort of cold assessment and saying, oh, well, this is this seems like a bad idea. Hey, we're planning on this insurance actually being there if you die. And if we're throwing yeah. the the uncertainty of the investments market on top of it, I think you, at least for me, I don't, I've never recommended a, a universal life policy. Are they less popular now than they used to be? Or is that, a, am I just guessing based on my own experience? The, the variable universal life and the traditional universal life are much more unpopular than they used to be. Okay. Absolutely. They're much less popular or more? Yeah, popular? Or yeah more unpopular, less popular. Okay. They're less popular now. Okay. I seem to run across several. I was actually wondering if you were going to say the opposite. I feel like I've seen several, maybe like variable policies recently, but yeah, maybe maybe the one, the variable policies that I've seen were all, are all, were all sold prior to 2010. So those types of policies will get popular when markets do well for a period of time. They won't <laughs> yeah. be as popular. Yeah. Like yeah. before they're, they're probably, yeah, that they're yeah. very cyclical well, in that regard. Cause they're you know investments. Yeah. The universal, yeah, yeah. The, the, the universal. Oh, I'm sorry. That's yeah, all right. No, sorry. Yeah. Did we just, have- we're up against a break here. Oh, so we're going to let you go here. Cause I yeah, know I, have I, to be- yeah, I have to go. Apologies for that. But guy, it's been really great chatting with you and, yeah, and likewise. thank you for joining us. And I have about a hundred things I want to talk to you about and policy <laughs> design. And like, I, I want to talk about, universal and variable policies and compare them to traditional investments and talk all I love talking about that stuff. So we'll have to get you on the show another time really soon. And I would love it it from that angle. That would be a really fun conversation. Uh, Apologies that I have to jump, but you guys have a great rest of the show. And Guy, thank you so much. And I look forward to chatting with you again. Likewise. Thank you so much, Alyssa. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. And we are back. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara. Alyssa McNamara, we just left us, but um, lucky to hell, still have Guy Ziriak here from Northeast Brokerage. He's an insurance professional. I'll give out the uh, the website again. It's nb-bga.com. And Guy, your email is gziriak. That's G-Z-I-R-I-A-K at nb-bga.com. If anyone has any questions, they can reach out directly to you. So we were t- we jumped into the middle of, I, I wanted to pull it back here just for a little bit. Universal life, I think is, would be, at least by me, would be categorized as the most complicated of the, the big broad categories of insurance product. Uh, so I wanted to spend just a little bit of time. I know we talked about term insurance. We talked about permanent and whole life. Uh, I wanted to get a bit deeper on each one of those topics first, and then we'll maybe we'll end with uh, the universal life and and get really get, get into the really complicated stuff, guys. So if that's all right with you, we'll jump back in. And I just I on the term, it's again fairly straightforward. You have life insurance that is set and priced for a specific term, right? We know what the price is. It's going to depend on your coverage amount. Oh, I need a million dollars. I'm going to, and I would like it for the next 20 years. So it's a fairly straightforward product. Is there anything that you wanted to cover with regard to 
maybe riders, right? I know that there's convertibility potentially. Let's just talk a little bit deeper on term and other than just like the very straightforward decisions of how much do you need and how long do you need it for? What else might you add or might you think about with regard to term insurance? Sure. No, there's a lot of interesting riders out there. Okay. That you can put on a term insurance policy. A rider is just like a change or an addition to the policy just to... Yeah, I think if we're talking in more simplistic terms, bells and whistles, right? On your life insurance coverage. One of the most common is called waiver of premium, where if you get disabled or sick or injured and you just can't work... The, you and you're out for let's say you're out of work for two years. Yeah. Uh, wa- if you have waiver of premium on the policy, they won't. You will remain covered, but won't have to pay premiums for the extent of your disability. Typically, that's a very inexpensive rider to add to a policy. We're talking single digit dollars per month, depending okay. depending on the policy, right? And if it's a, and for young healthy people, it's even less expensive. There are accelerated death benefit riders. These are typically more and more, they're auto, they're included automatically. Okay. And so if you are diagnosed with a terminal illness yeah. uh, by your doctor, you can actually take some of that death benefit. You depending on the carrier, it's usually around 80%. Yeah. And you can use that, you can use that those dollars now. And it's because if you want to take it one last vacation with your family, yeah. You know, that gives you that option to, to to use those dollars to live the last year the way you'd want to. Is this newish? Because I, I, early in my career, I can recall there was a marketplace for essentially selling your life insurance policy. I don't know. I wonder if it's probably because people decided, hey, I need some money and I'm terminal. Yeah, it, it is. And there is still a market for selling life insurance. Okay. They're, they're different different animals. Yeah. yeah let's, same, not, let's, maybe, let's not maybe go down. Yeah, I don't want to open yeah, up yeah, the worms here. I, yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that could go sideways. We're yeah. running out. That's maybe its own a separate show. That is uh, a um, show. Yeah, and let's okay. So uh, other riders, I do want to talk about convertibility because that's one yeah. that I've that's maybe interesting and a potential solution to. All right, I know I need term insurance now, and I'm not necessarily thinking about my future with regards. I'm just trying to get through the us, us parents with young kids. We're just trying to get through those next 20 years because it's yeah. we got a lot going on. So why don't you talk a bit about convertibility and yeah, explain? Well, it yeah, sure. Convertibility is the ability to convert a portion or all of your term insurance into a permanent policy. Yeah. They're available on most A-rated term policies right now. Oh, A-rated as in for healthy folks? No, or, actually, A-rated is in company quality. Okay. Every insurance company out there gets a rating. And yep. based on their claims paying ability, their how flush they are with capital and a number of other things. And now I personally will only work with companies that are A-rated. Okay, okay. Because yep. there's, you know... Because you want the company to be there when the person yeah, potentially I mean, dies. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. When at the end of the day, when you're buying any type of insurance, you're buying a promise, right? Yeah. A promise that company's gonna be there when you need them most. Have is so a working with companies that have been around 150 years that have always paid their claims, that's the right way to go. Now, in, in terms of convertibility, that is most now every carrier and every term policy depending on length is going to have their own convert convertibility provisions okay so for example i'm thinking of one carrier their 20 year term policy 
they'll let you convert it to any permanent policy on there that they offer up until about year 15. Okay. And then after that, they have one type of, which basically is a guaranteed universal life policy that they'll allow you to convert to. Okay. They've it, you every carrier will have their own convertibility privileges, and it, it is important to when you're buying term insurance and you're thinking down the road I may want something permanent. It's really important to understand those convertibility privileges because they can they can be the difference between being able to have permanent insurance and not. Because if you one of the benefits of convertibility is that you don't have to qualify health wise again if you have a. If you have a 20-year term policy and eight years into it, you have a heart attack. Once you get out of that hospital and you've done your PT, yeah, call your financial professional and convert that thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where, you, again, we've mentioned this over and over again, is that typically when you buy at least your first life insurance policy, there's a lot of stuff that you're not thinking about in the future. And it's just not the kind of thing that you plan for, right? I know we'll touch on it again when we move into whole life here and permanent insurance, but you're just locking in the ability to make that permanent. And do you have a guess at what convertibility would cost you, right? If you went with your standard 20-year term, and again, huge, big ranges, I understand every company is going to be different. If you choose a 20-year term, and then you're going to add a convertibility rider to it. What are you looking at as far as the increase in cost? Is it going to be double, triple, or in, if you're not it, comfortable it, making an estimate, that's totally fine. If you could clarify the question. So most, most policies out there, you don't need to add a convertibility rider to. It's automatically convertible up to a certain time. Okay. Term right. policies. Yeah. most mo, More term policies than not at this point are convertible okay. because when you think about it if you have a if you have a if you have a convert if you have a permanent policy the the insurance company now is a customer for life as opposed okay. to a okay. customer for 20 years so okay. they they like converting those occasionally they'll occasionally they end up on the losing end because like i said someone who has a heart attack or their health has declined significantly will convert but at the end of the day they like having customers for life one way or the other Okay. Oh, interesting. Can you just talk a bit, and it goes to the convertibility piece. If you're, if you are talking to, let's talk about the, the term that you might want to purchase, right? One of the things that, that we often deal with as a, as a retirement plan, as retirement planners is we're looking at those kind of pre-retirement years and into early retirement. They happen to correspond fairly often with the, the end of an insurance policy, right? Oh, I was 30 and then I got my 30 year term. And now I'm, I'm looking at if I'm doing a plan for someone who's 55, they have an insurance policy in place now, and it's going to sunset at age 60. And do you look at a sunset age? Are you having a discussion about potential early retirement? Because in the context of a retirement plan, you're much better off to have your term policy sunset at 70 than you yeah. are at 60. It's a, mm -hmm. because those, you know, if, those especially last 10 years can be touch and go, right? That's yeah. right. And it's, again, if you have an early death, right, we'll call early, let's just say before retirement, then you're going into your retirement with, in the case of, if we exclude folks who are on pensions, right, you have your two social securities. And then if, if one of them passed, if one spouse passes away at 65, you're going through retirement with just one social security, right? It'll be the higher of the two, but that's a fairly substantial number, right? If we're looking at two, two working spouses, 
that might be $30,000 a year in lost income inflation adjusted for the rest of their lives. So we're talking about a big potential insurance need. So do you is that something you touch on during that initial conversation? Or do you find that it's best left for later, I guess, if you comment on that one? Yeah. Now, usually when I'm speaking to people buying like their first life insurance policy, when they're in their late 20s, early 30s, and we usually go with a 30-year term. And just like you said, that in your late 50s, early 60s, that's when the policy ends up being close to expiration. Yeah. Now, if they can afford it, usually I will, as I was talking about earlier, we'll try and add some permanent insurance in there just into the mix to see what they need. If, If they can't afford it, if they can't afford the permanent coverage at a young age, then usually we're going to look at what are the options available to you when you turn 55, 60, and when this runs out, we'll talk again. Yeah. And yeah. And when we do reach there, now there's different options and it depends on that client's financial ability or financial situation. For example, if you have somebody who some people just need that 10 year, that 10 years worth of coverage before their savings are going to reach that critical mass, right? Where yeah. if, even if they lose one spouse, they're financially independent. For them, maybe it'll just quick a bridge type of a situation. That's like a 10, 15 year term. Yeah. Other folks may need longer term coverage. And for something like that, a guaranteed universal life policy can sometimes be a good play. That what that is, you want to consider it like a lifetime term insurance policy. Okay. There, there will be in the early stages of the policy, there will be some cash value, but it is typically gone by before before the policy ends. And what you end up doing is you pick an age that you are convinced that you won't live past. That can be age 100, it could be 110, 120, and it is up to 125. And obviously the older you go, the the, the more expensive the policy gets. And- so you're picking it so you with a guaranteed universal you essentially you name the expiration date where you say all right, I'm going could you choose age 90? Yes, you can choose as young as 80, depending on carrier. Okay. Yeah, you can go as young as 80 and as old as 125. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I guess I in my head, a guaranteed universal was just a was a whole life with without cash value that was going to be there. But I, I guess it's been a while since I've and honestly, that's yeah. that that's a fairly accurate assessment. Yeah, is it's just it's guaranteed to a certain age. And I don't know if there's a lot of 115-year-old people walking the globe right now, but you know, <laughs> usually if you put it out long, you put it out long enough, it becomes a perma- almost essentially a permanent policy. Yeah. And it's a lot less expensive than purchasing like a whole life in your 60s or or any type of any type of other universal index universal life, anything like that. It at that point, it's just gonna be it's not cost effective to own a policy like that. Okay. Better to focus on something that's guaranteed. Yeah. Can, can we just jump back to term? The shortest term available, is it 10 years or... Because if you're talking about like a bridging of a gap, and again, I know mm-hmm. I go back to retirement planning and early retirement all the time because I spend a lot of time with clients working in that area. There's realistically, right? Those early retirement years are the most... You're the most vulnerable in the early retirement years to, to market fluctuation, because you just you magnify everything by your life expectancy and if it's if you're if you might live another 30 years and something goes wrong that's a much bigger problem than if you might live another 15 if, if you're just looking to cover a bridge term insurance of is it 10 years is that the minimum or are there with, with most carriers that's yeah. the minimum yeah, yeah. With, with most carriers that's the minimum 
a lot of term and po- term insurance policies after you outlive them, yep. they'll continue to cover you on a year to year basis. But right. what that means is you get a huge jump, like 20 year term, yes. you get yeah. a huge jump in, tw- in year 21. And then as you get older, it gets more expensive every year. And it's not like it's a uniform jump every year either. Year, if you going from year 65 to 66 is more expensive than going from 64 to 65, if that makes sense. Yep. It's so, like, it, yeah. it escalates like a, yeah. If you look at the graph, it just, it starts to slowly up and then it, then it goes yeah, way and up. Then the graph eventually <laughs> starts going almost straight up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you get into like your eighties and stuff. So oh. yeah. Yeah, the 10 or 15 years are the typical bridge bridge policies, I like to call it. Now, there are a handful of other carriers out there that will let you do that. Again, they still have that 10-year minimum, but they let you do odd years. So if Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So if you wanted a 13-year term, there's one or two carriers that I oh, wow. know of off the top of my head that'll, that'll customize you anywhere from 10 to 30. Which and there are a couple of forty-year carriers out there as well, but oh really? Okay. Yeah, the forty-year carriers they you got to be usually you got to be under thirty to even get an offer if with a forty-year term. But, okay. And there are so it's rare in the industry as well, but they're out there. Okay. Yeah, I guess everything is math, right? And they're probably the fact that it's 10, 15, 20, is it's probably just a function of them trying to save money, right? They don't want to offer price out policy. They don't want to price out. 20 different policies. They just want to have their four priced out and simplify things because every every change is more administrative cost and they're all in a, in, especially in term, right? It's mostly, a, a lot of times it's just a price fight and who's the lowest. And if you get two A-rated companies and this one's going to charge you $1,000 a year and this one's 950, you're probably going to go with the 950, right? Yeah, not nine times out of 10, you will. But sometimes if there's an underwriting concern yep. or other pop, there's one carrier that I have, that I'm not sending applications to anymore because they switched to algorithm-based underwriting and they're still working out a lot of kinks. Oh, okay. So as in there's no, there's not a person doing it. There's in the early stages of it. Yeah. There's not a person doing it, but the, the person still needs to look over the policy when all of the, when the algorithms have filtered out some of the other risks and sometimes algorithms get it wrong. Yeah. Or, 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 other times they you know, they lose the documents that you sent in, so you got to send them again, and and that, and that's something that interrupts the process for the client. This isn't a fun thing for most people. Right? Right. You're talking about that, yeah. so you want to you don't want to have them chasing documents or calling their doctor two and three times to get the doctor to send something out. Right. You want to focus on companies that are going to be smooth. In terms of the in terms of the the in, the term length. In most cases, yeah, it is a function of cost. Yeah. It's also a, a function of, mar- of marketing. As human right. beings, we tend to think in increments of five. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yes, five, 10, 25, the big numbers. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the and on the flip side of that, the carriers that are offering the odd terms, that's marketing too. Yeah. Especially someone who has a financial planner who is yeah. has everything down to the very analytical type. Yeah, everything very detailed. They may say, you know what, you have 17 years to retirement, and you have <laughs> 17 years that you're going to need this policy. Yeah. Let's give you a 17 cool. year policy, and it's less expensive than a 20 year. Everybody wins. Yeah, let me cut you off there because we're running out of show here. I do want to get into a bit of the a bit of the whole life, as obviously 
name suggests it's meant to be held permanently. There is a there's a cash value that grows along with it. There are some, I don't know if I'm going to have time to get into kind of the, some of the planning aspects. Maybe that's another show sometime. We'll have you back. But so just big picture on whole life. Talk about the interest rate, right? Because you mentioned several times the interest rate. What is that? You know, what goes into the interest rate? I know it's not just as simple as it may not be as simple as the interest rates now are this. And so the interest rate on your policy will be that. So why don't you just talk briefly on that one? Sure. Now, a whole life insurance policy, first of all, the, the protection's guaranteed. As long as you pay the premiums, it will be there for you. Yep. Yeah. That is the A number one most important thing about whole life. I would say that whole life, they pay their, the cash value gets a dividend as opposed to an interest rate. Yeah. Um, the dividend is dependent upon the performance of the life insurance company in most cases, uh, right. or or dependent on the value or, and the growth of their of their portfolio, which goes to interest rates. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the interest rates, but a lot of these companies use like a ten inter, a ten year interest rate model. Okay. You know, if we go back to the to the if we go back twenty years. A lot of the better whole life insurance, a lot of the better whole life insurance companies were paying dividends in the 7% range and they were tax-free. Yeah. But as interest rates declined, we saw dividends go down to five and a half, six percent 6%, which is still not horrible. But the, and now as we're seeing interest rates climb, we haven't seen the whole life dividends jump yet because of that 10-year factor. So if we, if we see prolonged increased interest rates, we will see more whole life increases in their dividend payout rates. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. We, I should talk, I, we may miss some of, of universal life when we go back there, but there, there is an investment component to whole life. And if you look at it as an investment, right, obviously it's a, it's a hybrid product because there's a death benefit associated with it, but the, we should highlight the facts that life, the fact that life insurance is tax-free right? Yep. The, the growth that you're getting on the policy is tax, again, under, mo- we'll say that under most circumstances, right? So that yep. if it's, if you use it correctly, right. so that the death benefit that you would get would be a tax-free death benefit, you can structure it such that it will, that it will fall outside of potential estate taxes as well. And in a, in a policy where you have accumulated cash value, you can take money out of the policy on a tax-free basis, right? You're essentially, you're loaning it to yourself, but, and so it's, it's not taxed on the way out the way if you had, if you'd saved 10 grand a year in your investment portfolio, and then you started taking the money when you were age 70, you're, you will have capital gains as, as those distributions are made, but that's not the case in life insurance for folks who are, if you look at it as an investment, right? And now we live in a world where, we have lots of math and we have lot, we have powerful computers and some real and retirement techie types and are looking at it and saying, okay, hey, if you save this in your 401k versus you you put a bunch of money in your 401k, but you also did a whole life policy, there are some potential benefits to that with regards to appreciation and the fact that in your 401k, those distributions are coming taxable. Whereas if you're able to pull some money out of your out of your whole life policy, it can be if structured, again, if done correctly come out tax-free, which is obviously a fairly substantial benefit, especially if you're a higher income earner, right? If you're, if you have significant retirement income, if you have, if you're going to retire with $5 million in your 401k, that income coming out is going to put you in a fairly high tax bracket. So I went on and on for a bit there, but if, is there anything you want to follow up on with regard to kind of taxability? 
Yeah. So you're 100% right. If it is structured properly, you can use your life insurance policy for as a tax saving vehicle in your retirement. It re the policy, it's a very narrow lane for that to work properly, though. Okay. You you have to be, you have to be healthy. Like you you cannot, it's not an efficient way to save money if you're not a healthy person because the cost of insurance is just going to be too high and you won't get the rate of return to justify it. However, if let's say you're a preferred risk, we're looking at something where there's the the money that the money that you're investing, the tax savings is going to allow the performance of the investment to justify any insurance fees that you pay. Right. right? Within the policy. Yeah. And the way the way those withdrawals would work from a tax perspective, of course, if anyone would need any real tax advice, they'd want to talk to a CPA. Right. Yeah. You you also want to start, I should point out, you also want to start early too, right? Because the, the benefits of that tax, right? As you go through the the articles, there's all this all these disclaimers, right? This can be a good investment strategy, right? It, so it was, if you're healthy and also if you started early enough, which again, goes back to the point that we've said over and over here is that if you're starting this, this program when you're 35 or 40 and healthy, it's the kind of thing that can work pretty well for you. But there, but again, that's to your point. Yeah. That's what you meant. Narrow lane. It's if you're healthy and you can. And yeah. And you're young. Yeah. And, and you're young and you can yeah. compound that tax free growth over a long period of time, you're much better off than if you, this isn't really the kind of thing you can say, well, I'm 65 now, let's start building some cash value in my in my whole life policy. Yeah, you're exactly right. The a whole life policy really to get going where it really performs well and becomes that, that great in, okay, we have that great in, that great income producing vehicle that you're looking for. Yeah. Um, you need, it needs about 20 years to really generate those returns to, okay. Uh, really be like, wow, this thing is impressive and it's it's going to be and it's going to be a great asset for me in my retirement. Another benefit of it, though, is it's what called a non-correlated asset class. It's yeah. not correlated to the market at all. And I know we're running out of time and I probably just opened up a big can of worms. But <laughs> yes, you did. No. <laughs> Sorry so we can't, that. Yeah, I don't know if we can do non-correlated in the next 25 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> no, Basically, it doesn't, yeah. it's it's unrelated to the returns of the stock market. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's very much like a it's like a guaranteed investment vehicle, right? Because if if you again, if you're structuring your policy correctly, then you can say, all right, I'm gonna have this asset. And so you could even, oh, now I can be more aggressive in my traditional investments because I'm I don't have to worry about my volatility over here. I think that's maybe another show. And hopefully we can have you back sometime to I would love to really get into that. I had a great time today. I would love to come back. We yeah, we did as well. Thank you very much. Again, it's Guy Ziriak, Northeast Brokerage. I'm gonna give out your email address one more time. It's G Z I R I A K at nb-bga.com. Again, that's Guy Zeriak, Northeast Brokerage. My name is Justin McNamara. Thank you for listening today at McNamara on Money. And we will put this up as a podcast on your favorite podcatcher. Just search McNamara on Money. Thank you so much, Guy. I really appreciate it and hope to have you back soon. Thank you very much. I enjoyed being here. All right. Take care.